The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. So, Kev, what did you buy Gemma for for her um, for thirty fifth birthday? Oh, I just thirty second. Sorry, thirtieth birthday. I just uh, I just gave her a couple of smiles, <laughs> wrapped them up, <laughs> gave them to her, and uh, she's very happy. She hadn't seen those, that many smiles in a very long time. Is that is <laughs> was that? Well, that's all you can shop for, really. I, d- I wouldn't imagine anything's open near Bunker Malmesbury, is it? Anything actually, open at all? Actually, no, well, no, there's nothing open here, but uh, apart from the co-op. But I did. <laughs> Famous I, co-op. We did. The, me and the kids, I should say, got her a whole load of art stuff because she's very good. She's doing yeah. a lot of um, painting and drawing and, uh, I don't know, there's another word for this thing that she does with scratching and filling in and things. Scratching? Yeah, I don't know. I can't really remember. <laughs> she, she sits there at night when we're watching the TV and she's, she's scratching into this thing. Sits there at night scratching. <laughs> <laughs> he said it, not me. But she's superb. She put some of it on her Instagram. You should have a look, people. All right, okay. Well, no, you have to be a, you have to be a, you have to be allowed into her in a sanctum, don't you? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And she keeps kicking me off. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> the Fuji cast. You keep accusing of her, her of scratching. So uh, anyway, happy happy birthday, Gemma, for for last week. Um, it, uh, there was something about the famous Gemma bottle of wine or something. Did you manage to get through a, a, one or two of those, maybe? I'm a little bit drunk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder where you've gone for a minute then. You fell off your seat thinking about the wine. Anyway, welcome to the Fujicast. You and your questions from our electronic mailbag. And, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of. If you'd like to send a mail in the old-fashioned way, send to click at fujicast.co.uk. If you're not a Fuji film shooter, as we say, week on week, do not worry. Big community, whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. And uh, thank you to our friends who have uh, supported us on Patreon. We're going to do our uh, patron shout-outs in a moment. Uh, on the show today also, we have Valerie Jardin, um, street photographer extraordinaire. And um, we'll also hear from Pete and Ray next door, who are building something. Any knocks and bangs and expletives that you do here are the result of tools, in more <laughs> ways than one. Um, <laughs> I did give them an evil stare about 10 minutes ago, Kev. It was that like, you're not going to do this all for the next hour, are you? And I've got that kind of like, well, just doing our thing. Look, so anyway, I, usually we start off by talking about stuff that we've done in the last week. Well, how many weddings have you done, Kev? Oh, hang on. <laughs> let me think. There was um, uh, none. None. Uh, yeah. What about you? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, that was that. No, that. Um, I have been, edi- to be fair, though, I've been editing photo films. So I've kind of been involved in weddings this week. It feels like old times. Have so- you still got clients that you haven't delivered photo films for? Well, no, no. It, it, they, um, it's it's clients that have taken their time to tell me the ones that they don't want in the film. Okay. <laughs> I always say, send, send me the list of the ones you, you don't want, and I'll steam right into it. Yeah. So it's taken... I, I guess people have been otherwise busy with other matters. Um, but it's almost... Staying at home. Yeah, yeah, staying at home, absolutely. But that's pretty much it. I've got a couple of those to do. Then I'll, I'll, um, I'll be scratching around again. Uh, not with, but like Gemma. <laughs> um, designing stuff on uh, for, for, the, for the new shiny website that is coming one day. Mm-hmm. Should, should we do Patreon? Um, oh, do- that's that's actually what I've been doing. I forgot about that. I've spent a website. lot of time doing stuff on my my websites. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. What what sort of stuff? Um, well, mostly on the workshops website. So I put in this entire new scheduling system. So for the online stuff, right. really cool. Okay. Very impressed with it. Uh, haven't had any bookings, of course, but it's, it's there. <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> looks good. No bookings, yeah. but looks good. That's all right. 
So, um, Patreon, Patreon thank yous. We meant to do this at, um, at some stage last week, um, and we didn't. We did, indeed, and we forgot. So we shall not forget today, because we have a whole load of very, very lovely people who have helped us out on Patreon, patreon.com, Fujicast. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can, uh, you can help Neil and I buy more coffee. Uh, so <laughs> since we last read out the names, we have, in no particular order, Asim Khan, Holger Nagel, Ian Rawlings, Helen Fennell, uh, Peter Salisbury, John Baisley, Fran, Michael Honkomp, Dennis Bass, yep. uh, Denise Bass, Dennis, Denise, Dennis, Denise, Denise, yeah. Denise, 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 Denise. Uh, John Borehead, uh, John St. John, John St. John, St. John, <laughs> you'll be Ragel. in I trouble. These names. Jeffrey Ragel, yeah. Peter Salisbury, again, I think I might have put that in twice rather than he did it twice. Uh, this is one of my favourite names. Diddy Lomond, Matt's friend, Bold Thorsten, yeah. And then we've got Ben Searson. Then we've got Gunnar Isaacson. And then we've got my friend Robin Chun. And then we've another great name. Richard, listen to this one. Richard Wadekind. And we raise a glass. There we go. We do. Raise a glass. Or I have 750 millilitres of water. (laughs) That's not what you were drinking at uh, at the big party for um, the big party in the house with the four of you, obviously. No, no. Well, the reason for this is because when, when me and Gemma first got together, which was something like... Uh, I don't know, 250 years ago, mm-hmm. um, we had an agreement that when Gemma gets to her uh, 40-something birthday, that we'll yeah. healthy. Yeah. So we, we, we crossed that threshold last night. It's only taken us 27 years. So have you gone healthy now? Is that it? Healthier. <laughs> <laughs> but it is Friday. And so maybe we'll start on Monday. Yeah, we're recording this Friday. So um, so by the time you hear it Monday, we'll be heading toward another Friday. And Kev will say, <laughs> we'll wait We'll wait until next week. Yeah. Right, should we start with the questions? Who's going first? Uh, you go first. All right. Here's one from Bend in Oregon. Uh, Veronica Barnes. X100V or XT30 with 18mm lens? Question mark. That really could be the question, but I'll, I'll, I'll read out. Um, that was just what she wrote at the top. I've been able to get to, out to the trails and landscapes to shoot during the uh, this ever-long pandemic. While I'm not the landscape photographer I wish to be, I'm working on it. Landscape photography gives me a chance to drag my family out into nature and hike for miles and then make them wait while I'm shooting. We do a similar thing, actually. How Jack hates it. We're not going for a walk. Oh, it's going to be a photo walk. Please tell me it's not going to be a photo walk. <laughs> I, I, See, we're the, we're the other way around. There were kids love it. It's usually me lying on the sofa going, oh. <laughs> no. Well, no, Thomas likes it because he's got his camera that he had for Christmas. But Jack's like, oh, not another photo walk. Boring. And what he'll do is he'll walk ahead of us. So if there's anything wildlifey going on, he'll chase it off before we get there. I like no. I like to I like to keep my XT. He's not he's not he's not rotten, but he's a he's a <laughs> devil. I like to keep my XT2 and my backpack with filters on and clean, ready to go when I get that spectacular scene. So I usually carry an XT1 with a 35 mil. Um, and she's put here, no, it's not Kev's. Strapped to my backpack for the occasional snap of the family or the dogs. But I would prefer something smaller, and I miss the boat on the X70. Buying a smaller camera also gives me an excuse to give my teenager the XT1. I gave him the XE2 and he's using it for photography class. And at this point, he's probably a better photographer than I am. What do you think would be the most functional and stroke or just smaller? So X100V or XT30 with the 18mm lens. What do you think? Well, XT30 with 18mm will be a lot cheaper. Mm, That will be. A little bit more versatile in terms of uh, lens choices, etc., etc. However, I don't think 
I would do that. I would probably go X100V just because I'm a, I, I just like the simplicity of it. And I prefer that camera, of course. You know, I'm, I'm trying to divorce myself from this, I, uh, the personality of mm. the cameras. So trying to think about the question. Uh, and I still came to the same conclusion. <laughs> Does the X-T30, by the way, have a diopter on it? Because um, uh, she talks here about um, eyesight. And of course, uh, the X100V, you've got your diopter, haven't you? Most of them have got a diopter. Um, I, I don't I don't have an X-T30 so I don't know um, but yeah I would have thought so okay well there we go there's your answer go with what I can't see them leaving that out boom boom <laughs> oh, Kev um, <laughs> go- <laughs> Kev um, your question from the Facebook group well we, we ought to do a shout out for this because we had a, a whole load in didn't we uh, yeah. and, and of course you were brilliant you um you rewarded us with loads of questions and, and things to talk about and it's kind of died off again a bit yeah well it's kind of my fault because on the facebook group for those of you that are on the facebook group of course you just search for fujicast on facebook there is a thread pinned to the top which is questions for the show thread which is the one we're working from now however we do have andreas coming on the show in a not too distant future and i've put another thread on there for questions to ask andreas uh, Andreas being the marketing manager of Futureform UK. Yeah. So that's kind of made the other one disappear a little bit. Um, so <laughs> the thread is still there. So please keep asking your questions. And I am going to point my tinkling little pinky finger randomly at the one from Robert Ham. He says, thanks for the opportunity. The podcast is, is hilarious. Uh, here, do you... Do, do you intend it to be funny, Neil? Is it meant to be a funny thing? <laughs> Not really, no. Mm. Here is my question. It, it's getting harder as well as this <laughs> pandemic goes on. It feels like we've locked the door and thinking, right, pull out every last bit of comical energy I can find. I tell you what, though, I shall, I shall before I go into Robert's question, yeah. I, shall, uh, I just had another wedding inquiry. And I feel like the, the, the doors are opening a little bit. For 2025. The world. No, no, actually, I, I have had a few for 2023. But um, in, since, uh, since kind of the 1st of January, I think I've had yeah. seven or eight inquiries, which is great. I, but yeah, yeah. most of them are doing my head in because they're, right. they're nearly all for the middle of August. And the, I literally had one just pop in now for the 7th of August. And, and I'm desperately, I said to Gemma last night, I, even if we have to walk to Spain, I'm going. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not doing the August stuff. So that one will be yeah. flinging its way across to you. Yeah, yeah, keep sending them. I, I'm, I'm uh, hoping that August is going to be, um, I, I don't think we're going away. I'm doing all your weddings. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to them. But, but I'm going to be really, I, I, it's a real dilemma for me because if we don't get to go away, and you know. I've got them all. <laughs> you'll be you'll be busy and in work while I'll be sat at home editing podcasts. Could you uh, yeah, could you come and be my assistant? Um, <laughs> I'll take that as a no. <laughs> okay, yes. So I'm just looking at that date. Yeah, August. Uh, okay, sorry, a little interlude there. So here's the question from Robert. He says, thanks for the opportunity. The podcast is hilarious. Here is my question. But first, some background. As a rank amateur, I take good, decent headshots for my work, which is in healthcare communications. And these are published online and in annual reports or other publications. In my personal shooting, I shoot anything that pleases me, from nature to animals to oddball street scenes, all for my own enjoyment, as it's my, as my family is bored silly with it all. Regardless, in the end, I have no style. I am fairly competent, and I know my way around my X-T2 and X-Pro one but there is nothing particularly unique that i do in your opinion is better than average competence a style (laughs) how does one develop a style do they have to concentrate on a type of shooting street portrait etc maybe i should just crawl under a rock and stop aiming a camera at everything (laughs) oh Uh, poor robert Robert, Robert, california 
Um, I don't, I, do you know, this style thing eludes me sometimes. I was talking to a photographer who, who is a, a really well-known architectural photographer in L.A., and he said, um, his name's Mike Kelly, he's very, very good, very, very talented. And uh, he was talking to me about um, having a Mike Kelly signature. And, you know, what is what is a signature? Well, um, I mean, I, I suppose, yeah, I mean, we talked about Bruce Gilden a lot last week, didn't we? He definitely has a signature, doesn't he? I mean, you know a Bruce Gilden picture, but I think you know a Bruce Gilden picture because of the people that are in it. It's almost like that they are his character. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, it's amazing how many times people comment on my Instagram stuff on in the days when I used to put wedding pictures up, and they would say, "Oh, I knew that this was your picture even before I saw who it was from." Yeah. And that, that happened a lot, and it's always kind of baffled me a little bit because it's you know it's just crushed to black and white pictures of people. Yeah, but you also um, had a very you, you had a very familiar. Um, I mean, you'd obviously want to believe that it's because you have a, a technique and style, but but equally, I think you had a, a very Kev, a very Mullins uh, warm tone to your pictures. It was it yeah, was your signature. That was your signature look, though. It was a little bit warmed up. Yeah, I did, I suppose, and um, you know, so that's the thing. But you know, the 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 thing about the the bit that I picked up on on Robert's question mostly at the end is uh, where he said maybe I should stop, uh, maybe I should crawl under a rock and stop aiming a camera at everything. Um, and and you know, ultimately, the only person, if you're not doing this professionally, the only person that you have to please is yourself. So point your camera, whatever you like. Look at the pictures. Don't worry about the rest of the world. And if they make you smile, then, you know, your own personal style is your smile. There you go. A style that makes a smile. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, better than average competence is a style. No, it's not a style. But, you know, how you enjoy it, how it manifests itself in what you do with the pictures. You know, you will, the more you shoot, the more you will find something that you enjoy mostly um and you you you'll you'll gravitate to that it doesn't mean that that's all you you're going to shoot you know of course not i mean a lot of the uh you know take magnum photographers for example the stuff we see from them on magnum and on the feeds is is mostly what they're you know they're kind of famous for but as commercial photographers they take a lot more of the stuff that you just yeah. never see yeah it's uh you know it's 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 horses for courses ultimately don't worry about it yeah stop fretting do you think you have a star when you go to weddings? I, I know it's been a while since we've we've uh, we, we've been shooting weddings, Kev, and we've done the 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 odd the odd and bob one here and there. But you know, in, I think I I think I've got a star. What is that um, star? What is it? Well, it's brown shoes, blue trousers, um, <laughs> and your rotten, jacket, and your new rotten jumper that we found on YouTube the other day. <laughs> yeah, nineteen seventy-five fluffy, fluffy brown jumper. Yeah, that no, looked quite cool. I thought yeah. I, I actually quite liked it. But um, yeah, but do you, I mean do do you have a style? Are you aware that you're shooting in a particular style, or are you just shooting because you're seeing stuff and you think oh, I want to grab it? You're not really thinking about is this Kev style? Because I think there are some photographers, wedding photographers in particular, that have um, that that do have a style that you look at it and you think, yeah, the first ones that are coming to me are, are Bomb Knights and um, and Ian Weldon. You know, if you, I, I think those two to me look fairly similar. But I think, yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. I think they have a style. I, I agree. They do have a style, and uh, you know, you, I, I, in terms of my style and your style, I think that we are. Uh, I'm never thinking about what the finished image will look like when I'm taking it. I'm thinking about capturing the you know emotion and humour generally. That's, yeah. uh, I suppose, my style manifests itself from what I'm looking for rather than what I'm thinking will look good on a blog post. Yeah. And you know, so yeah, it's hard. It's hard to to kind of think about it in that respect. 
But, uh, you know, I, I always think that when it comes to candid photography, documentary style photography, uh, style has to come down to the content, really. And, you know, you have people who, who shoot doc- storytelling pictures that are very wide and, you know, they're, they're very panoramic. Uh, and typically you'll you'll kind of see that in their style repeatedly and then you have other people who are in your face really close you know 35 mil right in the mix and and typically those people will shoot similar things regularly so i guess it just you know comes from that i suppose um david holloway has written in um says hello a question with regard black and white photography um, I'm keen to make it my speciality, but I want to move past just creating a preset, applying then adapting to various photos without really giving it enough thought. I've started shooting an Acros um, in the X100F, which is helping with uh, looking for light. Although I was wondering if either of you can recommend any courses, online or physical, that would allow me to understand what makes a good black and white photo, all the way through to creating my own. And we're back to signature, signature blend. Um, I'm keen to make it my main style for the majority of my family photography work. P.S. Loving Ministry of Shadows, Kev. Uh, that's from David Holloway. We're all loving Ministry of Shadows, Kev. Yeah, I, I've uh, nothing's happened in 2021 on Ministry of Shadows. Not yet. yet. Not yet. Uh, no, not yet. I need to. I do need to. Um, yes. Well, there we are. There's a sh- there's a shot across your bow, sir, from David Holloway. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I have to actually think in, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Ministry of Shadows and F-16 and I think, I think they may, may join forces. Anyway, really? that aside, Whoa. black and white. So was back that, in the is, day. Is that an announcement there, Kev? Not really. Oh, okay. but, <laughs> it's a thought. <laughs> it's a thought that came in through my left ear and rapidly went out my right ear. <laughs> Did it? All right. Uh, yeah. Um, that back in the day, black and white stuff, there was a guy, I think his name was David Nightingale. He was a Fujifilm X photographer for a very short period of time. Right. And he, I'm sure he had a website. I think it was called Chrome, Chromasa or something like that. I'm sure okay. if you type in David Nightingale, you'll find it. And he, he used to do uh, lots of online, uh, especially black and white editing stuff. Um, now, this was you know, when I was looking at it, it was 10 years ago. So it may have changed a little bit, but yeah, there's, there's, there's something to look out for. Otherwise. Yeah. I mean, you, of course you, you can just, I would stay away from those when you search Google for black and white workshops or black and white, you know, processing workshops, yeah. stay away from those ones that, and it, 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 we seem to be, it seems to be endemic at the moment. Uh, you know, online workshops that retail at $399, but for today only a $9 randomly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because they, they just seem to be just repetitive and just, you know, you, you take you on board for and, and kind of fleece you a bit more. Um, so look for something that I, I would suggest looking for something where you can have a, uh, you know, an interaction with the tutor somehow, um, whether that's through Q and a or whether it's, you know, whatever, cause obviously now these days it's, it's going to be online. Mm. Um, YouTube, of course, going to be loads of stuff on there. Udemy, all of those places are going to be good, good places to, to get stuff. Um, and I, if you're anything like me, when it, when it comes to black and white, 
I specifically try and keep it as simple as possible. I mean, it's quite an in-depth process in getting the the look that I want, but then it's all kind of done. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not changing it. I'm not having pictures that look different. They, they, you know, they all have the same structure and the same density. So that that's what I would, you know, don't don't kind of go down the route of looking at a. A, a workshop that gives you a very contrasty black and white and then think actually I'll do that once and then I want to go down the route of doing some CPS and then I want to go down the route of doing some uh, you know gray washed out black and white so you think about what you want first and look at the look at the type of things that the course is delivering and, and ensure that it's it's the style it's that word again style that you want yeah i'd agree you should always um i I, if i'm doing mentoring i really want to spend time and it can be across zoom quite easily these days of course with with the person who's mentoring me rather than being part of a um a larger course i quite like that idea of being able to to sort of just inquire with somebody about how they made that what they did what they were thinking when they were making it i think that's one of the nicest things you 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 can one of the one of the greatest ways you can learn is is by is looking at individual lesson uh, individual pictures and and trying to work out what they were feeling at the time when they were making it Um, yeah absolutely uh, i mean if you can do one-to-one with people on zoom these days uh you know and it's somebody you you admire their work then and you can you can afford it and do it yeah. yeah i think we've got a time for, time for another one from the facebook group there okay so i've got one from daniel johnson mm-hmm. uh, question for both hosts natural light versus flash photography pros and cons mm. i myself living in sweden with 20 hours of light in the summer and 20 hours of darkness in the winter has made it necessary me necessary 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 for me to double in both yeah there we go. What about uh, what about using uh, more constant light sources? I mean, I, I last time, um, last time we were in Norway, which was last year, and, and the light would fail fairly early in the afternoon for um, when we were there. I took my uh, LumiMuse with me, and I used that an awful lot, um, I, uh, as a, as opposed to using flash. I mean, it obviously depends how much you want to illuminate the area. If you're trying to illuminate a large area, then a little LumiMuse is not going to do anything for you, is it? But um, but yeah, yeah, I you mean, could try a constant light source. It doesn't have to be flash. No, absolutely. Uh, I did a wedding in northern Norway, right up in the Arctic Circle, um, but it was in July, so it was twenty-four hour daylight. Right. Okay. Different then. <laughs> so I didn't need to worry about lights. Um, but yeah, natural light versus flash photography. I personally prefer natural light, but then we live in a world, a part of the world, where you know it's it, it's a little bit better for that. Uh, flash photography. Is not something that really interests me too much, um, unless it's kind of studio stuff or anything. And even then, I'm using when I'm doing any stuff in the studio. Uh, well, when I have done it, I should say, I use my uh, aperture. Yeah, using video the, yeah, light. Yeah, using the aperture, aren't you? Well, I, I yeah. funnily enough, I've dusted off the the Elinchroms, the little six hundred units that I, I've got, and um, I've been I've been testing those out and using those. I'm quite enjoying using the studio flash again, mm. and sometimes snooting it and putting a grid on there. And one thing um, that, that, I mean, I've got quite low ceiling, as you know, in this studio. So the corner studio that I've set up, I was throwing a whole load of light in the air and bouncing off this huge white sort of expanse really above me, which is a ceiling, and using that as the, the, the key light and then popping just a little bit from a, from a snoot or a grid in from, from one of the sides. And that, that's, been, uh, that's been creating some, some uh, I think, some interesting effects, actually. Um, but I, I have I, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. It's <laughs> <laughs> <None. laughs> usually the other way around. Um, what did you say? Something about snot? <laughs> no, a snoot. 
You know what a snoot is, heaven's sake, or do you not? No. <laughs> is that that's one of those things you hang over the front? Isn't it? Yeah, but you're funneling the light through it. You're sort of, and and yeah. then I mean, you're not focusing because it's you know it's not a focus light as such, but it, it's it's cutting down the uh, the the stream the stream of light that you're throwing. And especially if you put a mini grid on the, do you know what a mini grid is? Should we move it's, on? Yeah, it's a smaller version of the grid. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> not the grid you plug yourself into. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not not that one. But I mean, you can have fun with uh, with stuff like that because you can actually throw some some interesting uh, odds and bobs on on the front of your your speed lights. It doesn't have to be a great big um, studio flash unit. But you've been mm. getting some great um, some great uh, stuff out of using that uh, that constant light source, haven't you? Well, I've only tried it a couple of times, and yeah, I did like it. I like the results, I have to say. Yeah. Although it's because it's not massively powerful, you do end up still needing to use quite relatively high ISO, um, do you? or get that light route too close, and then you have to end up cropping it out and losing losing yeah. a bit of the image. So they you do sh- do a more powerful version of the aperture. Yeah. So I think I think when you know once once the world starts spinning a bit more and, and I'm, I'm thinking about doing a bit more of that stuff, then I might get the yeah. the newer aperture that's brighter. Mm. Because yeah, I think for me that I just like the idea of being able to see it all in real time. Because mm. I'm a lazy. No, it's, there's nothing to do with being lazy. There's plenty of people that like using constant light sources. Uh, that that photographer I spoke to on uh, on on the other the other podcast that there is. Um, the photography, the photography daily, daily, the photography daily. Yeah, Bjorn Comerell, who's um, an LA um, photographer who shoots um, showbiz and stuff like that, and he uses um, he uses constant light source as much as he possibly can. In fact, he made his own. So, getting getting light, uh, getting um, sort of daylight balance light strips and putting them into putting him into his own units and uh, yeah so he, he sort of fashions his own stuff and does really well with it as well but you don't have to you don't have to spend a fortune on it there's somebody that built a built one of these units you find a lot in um, in film work he he built the whole thing for about 30 30 dollars including tubes so it can it can from home depot as they say um, so it can be done tell me about Valerie Jardin she a friend of yours yeah i met valerie a few times she is a uh, feature film ex-photographer based in in uh, in the cold depths of america but actually very french as you'll find out uh, lovely yeah really nice and uh, a very very well respected uh, feature film photographer how is the pandemic hitting you you're in minnesota right am i right yes uh minneapolis so um well i it hit ev- everyone hard uh but uh, self-employed people uh, in particular, I think, uh, especially artists who make a living traveling. <laughs> so, yeah, it hit hard. I've been, uh, you know, I had to cancel uh, a full year of workshops and uh, I miss it. I mean, that's that's my oxygen, you know. And so, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I've been writing a lot. I'm teaching online. I'm presenting online. But um, it's just not the same. I just can't wait uh, to get back and teach on the streets of the world. And I've been traveling a little bit just for me because um, my my other home is in France. And I, being a French citizen, I don't have travel restrictions like the U.S. citizens do. But, um, yeah, it's just not the same. I haven't even felt like going into, into Paris, to be honest. Uh, each time I go back, I just go to my place on the beach and just try to clear my head. When, when did photography arrive in your life? Well, actually, about 20 years ago, so quite late for, uh, you know, it's not like I picked up the camera when I was uh, 
five years old or something like you hear those stories. No, I, I had already moved to the U.S. and uh, and decided to start photography. I mean, I had had cameras before, but nothing serious. And uh, I, I picked up. Well, it was still film days. 20 years ago, but, um, and within a year, I was actually working for clients. So I, I picked up the camera and quickly, you know, made a business out of it. I was shooting uh, portraits at the time, and then sh- shifted to more commercial type photography for several years. And then about 10 years ago, I decided to start teaching workshops. And, um, First year was very successful, and then the second year, I, that's what I was doing full-time and quit my, my commercial photography business within a few months, and that's, been, that's what I've been doing. I actually got rid of all my DSLR kit and everything shortly after that, and, and I've been committed to one camera, one lens ever since. What is it about street photography that keeps your passion going? What is it that you love about it? I think it's the unique, um, well, first of all, the challenge of getting the elements together that will actually make a powerful photograph, and it's so challenging. And I think because it is so difficult um, to produce, you know, actually a, a, a meaningful photograph, um, which is 100% candid, uh, I think that's what keeps, keeps us going because of the difficulty um, and the challenge. But it's also the fact that no one has that moment and no one ever will and no one can have that photograph but me. And I think that is a really strong uh, appeal. Um, and you photograph something that's never happened before that will never happen again. Even yourself cannot, could not replicate it as it's, you know, you have no control over what people do. And so being able to see that uh, a moment, that decisive moment and capture it and, uh, and, and immortalizing that really precious moment of everyday life, I think it's just so beautiful. I can't think of anything else that I would prefer to do although I shoot a lot of other things I do a lot of still life and and architecture but this is really what uh what I love to do uh, you know you've been street, uh, shooting street for quite a while now and mm-hmm. I guess About it's 10 years 10 years or so yeah and and I suppose the the mechanism of shooting street is is always the same you, you just alluded to the idea of it being candid which is I think is important um mm-hmm. for me as well as you and you know for some people who who kind of shoot street but but it's not candid then in my mind that becomes editorial and that's fine as well as long as it's it it's fine yeah i mean i find that they're missing on the (laughs) missing on the joy uh first of all it takes the it takes the merit out of the equation and um yes then you become a director if it's not candid and I don't see the point um, of it because then it's too easy in my book. I mean, if you ask someone, for example, oh, could you, could you do this again? Or could you kiss again? I just missed the moment. It's like, well, no, <laughs> don't do that. This is, you, it, it's taking the joy out of capturing that true, uh, unique and candid moment, which I think is what we, is the reason why we, we walk mile after mile, day after day uh, on the streets with our camera. Do you think street photography is more difficult? Now I'm, I'm talking more about the ethics. So for example, you, you visit Paris quite a lot mm-hmm. and you know, taking pictures in, in, um, in European cities is much more difficult these days, candid pictures. 
Um, has, has that changed for you? Do, you? do you see that or is that something that just doesn't bother you really? No, actually, I don't see any difference because I'm so respectful and um, I really, truly photograph beautiful moments. I never photograph anyone in a crisis or in a vulnerable situation or in a ridicule situation. And and even recently, I mean, I, I'm so happy when people... Um, either see a photograph that they know the person. And, and just uh, just at, right after Christmas, I received an email from a, a gentleman in Paris who said, I saw this photograph of my father. At, he was pushing he, at the Luxembourg Garden. You know, there was the, the pond, which has been, you know, people bring their little wooden boats or they can't rent them there in the summer. And then they push the little wooden boats and his dad actually makes them. And every Sunday morning, along with other big kids, you know, who are retired, he, he joins the club and then they bring their little boats. And I photograph that a really beautiful candid moment and that photograph was published. And his son um, saw it and said, I've, I've never seen a picture of my dad like this. I've, I've never even had a good picture of my dad. And he, he asked if he could um, have a copy. And I was so happy to send him a copy and, and a note uh, for his dad. And uh, that just made my day. And he, he said, it's, it's just such a special moment that will stay with them. And I wish I could find everyone that I have photographed over the years and, and, and give them the photograph because they are just they're, they're beautiful emotional moments. They're not, no one can look at my picture and say, oh, I'd hate it if it was me on that picture, for example, because it is just everyday life. And I think um, if you do it that way and respectfully, and that's really part of my teachings, because there are a lot of people who are really pushing and, and, and giving street photography a bad rep. And I think that's a shame. That's why it's becoming more and more uh, difficult for some people. Not difficult so much, but uh, intimidating. And, um, and even if people don't want to photograph people that are recognizable, there are so many other ways to photograph street photography without revealing the, you know, the identity of a, of a subject. So um, no matter what, I never change my approach, whether I'm in Australia or in the US and in, in Italy or in Paris, I have the same approach and respect is my number one priority. If I feel like if it was me on the picture and I wouldn't want to post it, because it, and then I would not post it. I would probably not take it. But even if I take, and I after the fact, then yeah, I don't think, I don't think, so. and then I will never, I will never share it. Yeah, that's that's my message also to to the people I speak to. You know, only take pictures of things that you'd be happy being in that photograph. Yeah, and then also, um, then people. I mean, e even in countries that are very strict, people would still have to prove that you damage them in some way with that picture so uh, I think that would be pretty difficult to find a photograph um, where you know the person would feel that their reputation has been damaged from because of that photograph so yeah yeah I agree and, and you know when, when I look through your website and your uh, portfolio stuff it, it is beautiful stuff it is absolutely beautiful and there's, there's none of that kind of Bruce Gildin type street photography, if you like, you know, the, no, the kind of flash in your face and run away. <laughs> oh, and I would not, I mean, you know, if somebody did that to me, I would probably punch them. So I, <laughs> you really have to treat people the way you want to be treated. And, uh, and I just can't, 
it makes me cringe when I see photographers even get confrontational because they're in their rights. You're in a public place, you know, in, in the U.S., you don't, you know, you can photograph anywhere in a public place and people don't have, uh, can't say anything. But even then, if somebody feels uncomfortable about being photographed and I mean, and my rights, I'm still going to, you know, say, oh, you know, no problem. I'm not going to push it just because I'm in my rights. I think the everyone has the right to to their privacy and say, no, I don't want to be photographed. And that's totally fine. No, whether it's a law or not, uh, that takes precedence. Are you managing to shoot every day or is it something that's a challenge yes. right now? I'm still shooting every day and it's hard because I live in a cold state. Uh, so usually in the winter, uh, well, I usually travel every month somewhere to teach. So I, I, uh, I try to, uh, <laughs> to get away as, as often as possible from the cold. But uh, right now I, I, I'm working on a project called On Ice because we're in a state of over 10,000 lakes. So you're, you know, I, I walk out the door, I, I'm never more than half a mile from a lake. So, uh, and the lakes are frozen and it's amazing the, the activity on the frozen lakes. I mean, to give you an example, I started the project three, uh, just at Christmas time. So it's been what, three, three weeks now that we're recording this in January. And um, I photographed, uh, a dance party on the lake with a DJ. I photograph people uh, building a giant Jenga game on a lake, people ice swimming, people, of course, ice fishing, skating, you know, those are the common things. Uh, dog sleds, uh, pulling kids on the lake. Uh, so all things that people do on ice. And I'm having a blast. I, I don't, I can't think of many other places where I'd rather be right now because it's like this summer when I was mostly photographing on the beach where people were more normal, you know, but the only place where you didn't have to wear a mask in, in France was on the beach because on the boardwalk, you had to wear a mask, but on the beach, you know, kids were happy and yet smiles and it felt so much more normal. That was my happy place because I needed that normalcy. And I feel like on the lakes, uh, although a lot of people even wear masks on the lakes, but you know, you'll catch the fisherman who is just sitting on a buck on an upside down bucket with in front of the hole in the ice and, and fishing. And then you have a conversation and it's just, it's been really great. And that's been my lifesaver. And I also do a project on, um, just objects in window light. Um, and those two projects are keeping me sane because at least I shoot every day, whether it's on my window, <laughs> you know, or outside during my uh, daily walks. And uh, I can't imagine not having that right now. If I didn't have photography, I would go be going mad. I, I noticed something on your website called the DSFN initiative. Oh, do, uh, uh, yeah, do something for nothing. With do something Joshua for Coops. nothing. That, mm -hmm. that was wonderful. I was looking through those pictures. Like, so what, what's, what's the background of that? Oh, okay, so uh, Josh, who is from the UK, um, and he's, he started about, uh, about five or six years ago. He's a professional hairstylist, but he started uh, offering his services to the homeless community. And um, uh, a few, within a few months after starting doing that, he wanted to carry the project in Paris. And then, so he Googled Paris Street, and then my name popped up, and he really liked my work. So he said, I'm going to be in Paris for two, three days carrying my, um, you know, with my kit, and I'm going to um, offer my services to the homeless community. Could you 
could I, could we meet? Could you take a few pictures? And I wasn't in Paris at the time. He thought I lived there full time. And so I put him in contact with another photographer in Paris then. And then I said, but let's keep in touch because I would, I love what you do and I would really like to document it. And about a year later or so, um, we met in New York and we spent three, four days on the streets together. And I documented his work with the homeless community and uh, gathered stories. And I was, 100% in the project. I wasn't just a photographer. I mean, I was also, you know, helping out and and really interacting with, with people, listening to their stories, hugging. And it was such an emotional, it was a life-changing project. A few months later, we did the project in Paris together. And then he came to Minneapolis that following um, summer for a big exhibit that we had of the two, the New York, Paris. Um, we shot I shot in Minneapolis because he, he carried on the project in Minneapolis and uh, we're planning to start again in another city, hopefully in the fall this year, if all goes well. So, um, I mean, Josh, that's all he does now. So he's been, uh, he was featured on the story of us uh, with Morgan mm -hmm. Freeman. I don't know if you saw that series. It's actually on Netflix. So if people are on Netflix, uh, check out that series. And there is an episode where uh, Morgan Freeman actually interviews uh, a young Englishman who uh, cuts the hair of homeless people on the streets of the world. And he's the most wonderful human being um, ever and such an inspiration and um, working on a humanitarian project like that for me was totally life-changing. And I, I just can't wait to, to do that again with him and, and other, other projects uh, as well. You don't have to go very far, unfortunately. You know, even when you're in the U.S. or anywhere in, in Europe, you don't have to go very far to, uh, to, to do some uh, social documentary work that can actually change people's minds. And um, really, it's about... Um, raising awareness and um, you know people sometimes think oh yeah that's what I have to go to a third world country to to do some humanitarian project well no it's it's just at your doorstep and uh, you can really we have the power to actually tell a story in a frame or in a series of photographs and there's nothing stronger than this the photograph and so um it was uh, so we have two books, fundraising books to keep supporting Josh, and uh, yeah, so I can't wait to to see him and and work with him again. He's in the UK right now, and of course he can't do this, but um, he's he's done some other projects and uh, during COVID and uh, listening to the stories of uh, essential workers. So he continues to do what he does best and talk with people and. I make connections because that's what he does. Uh, it's really making connections and making people feel visible. Um, so it, it's just amazing. Yeah, I invite people to look at those pictures on my website. Tell me a little bit more about the project stuff because I think that's something that a lot of photographers struggle with. I always get emails from people. How do I know what to take pictures of? What can I do? And I always tell them to think of a theme, think of a project. It could be short or long term or anything, and and it seems to me that you've got that nailed in terms of, you know, you're you're out on the ice lakes, you're you know, you've got all kinds of projects and themes for your delegates on your workshops. Well, I have a lot of ongoing ones. Uh, obviously, some that are on hold. I have one that's stories 
uh, of hands, which I get really close to people and photograph their hands, whether they're at market. You know, usually when you're in a crowd, you can do that pretty easily and get, because I shoot everything at 23 millimeters, so I have to be close. Uh, but uh, so I, I have a lot of ongoing projects uh, that uh, I collect photograph you know, for, but just the short term project, like right now on ice, obviously by March, uh, probably won't be walking on by end of March, probably won't be walking on ice anymore on the lake. So this is going to stop. Um, I think what what holds people up is that, um, or I don't know if that's the right expression in English, but um, holds them off, maybe, I don't know. Anyways, one of those um, <laughs> is because they want to do something unique, but there is nothing unique. Everything has been done. So forget about, oh, I got to find something nobody has done before because that's not going to happen. But no one has done it like you because you're, there's only one of you and no one will ever do it the same. I'm sure the ice project has been done before. People have photographed, you know, ice fishermen and such. But no one is me. No one is going to see it like I do. No one is going to uh, shoot it like I do. So just forget about doing something that's never been done because you won't be able to, to find that. And just do what resonates with you, what you love. I love the outdoors. So that's an, another excuse to be outdoors more. Um, because, you know, right now it's quite mild, but, you know, we drop to 20 below zero and it's centigrade. And so I'm still outside. I uh, need extra batteries. But uh, so it's something that's going to push you to do what you love to do and get you out of a rut. I love seeing beautiful, uh, even ordinary object in, in the light. And so my other project is doing that so that I I do those visual push-ups every day, no matter what, even if I'm stuck in my office. I have my, my dog with me all the time. I'll, I'll take a picture of her. And actually, I, I have a series on my dog, too. <laughs> so uh, it's just finding, you know, having different series, collect them. Um, and I think also just posting on social media may not be enough. I think if you find a home for your series, whether it's a, a blog or uh, a simple website, at least have a gallery for each one of your series, and then you collect, and then the gallery grows, and then then you'll curate. It's like, okay, well, that picture wasn't that great. Now that I have several of the same series, I can start removing some of the ones that are not so good. And then you have some strong photograph, and then you start putting them in, in a meaningful order, and uh, you learn a lot. So no matter what, even if you don't share those photographs, just shoot. Um, I, I've heard a lot of photographers who haven't even touched their camera throughout this whole pandemic. And I'm like, how do they do it? Um, because it really is therapy. Uh, I can't even imagine not shooting. Um, even if I don't share, if I didn't share those pictures, I don't care, but I do it for me, really. It's something you have to do for you. Don't try to please a crowd. Don't try to please your audience. Just do it for you. That's another thing that probably stops a lot of people because they feel like they have to 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 please their social media audience. No, you shouldn't care about that. You should only care about what makes you happy. So to that end, when it does come down to uh, kind of keepers, if you like, and, or portfolio-worthy pictures. What happens? Does does your heart miss a beat when it, when you get something? You think, oh man, that's good. I, I know that's going to be a a good one for my website, or I, you know, I really love that. Is it? Does it happen a lot for me? I, I find myself, you know, shooting for days and days, months and months, sometimes without thinking. Mm, you know, that's okay. Uh, yeah, but I think you become more and more critical of your work and harder with yourself. I know I I am. And uh, not that I'm not going to share 
pictures that I'm, eh, you know, not that great because I think it's important. We're not, we don't make, uh, we don't make wonderful pictures every day. It's not possible. If you do, then the bar is probably way too low. So it's okay. But there is, yes, there is that one photograph in a year. That's just going to be like, yes, that's the one that was my year right there in that photograph that's the one that touches my heart the most and it more often than not it's not your popular one on social media uh, because i i know exactly what people are going to react to i could shoot you know dramatic silhouettes every day and uh, people would say wow that's so beautiful but yes it's fine and they're nice but silhouettes i know really not that difficult to uh to to master. And, um, and sometime I'm more, you know, it, it's, I, I will probably um, find more satisfaction if I capture uh, a really beautiful emotion or gesture um, or then, in, and, and a lot of people won't see it, you know, because it is so personal. So, um, yeah, there is always that, I think, one one photograph in a year that really stands out for you. But not, again, stands out for you, but not for everybody else. Every year I, I put together um, a slideshow that I put in a YouTube video of of uh, my the moments of the year, basically. So, um, and I usually, you know, bring it to a hundred pictures that kind of shows what my, my year was. Usually it's trips, but this year there were fewer trips. They ended quickly so um yeah but it's good to uh to to do that i think is there one do you have one picture in in, in all of the years you've been photographing do you have one picture that you always think yeah that's that's my that's my legacy <laughs> uh, I hope I haven't photographed that picture yet uh, because true, yeah. I think that would be kind of sad but uh, yes there is one actually um and um I shot it in New York and we you can put it in the in the show notes I'll send it to you it's a uh, I was waiting for a friend and uh, I I was at the on top of the steps at I think it was Union Square um, subway station and I had my camera on the on the railing and I was watching people coming and going. And you know how it is, New York. You never wait for more than five seconds to have somebody that just blows your mind <laughs> coming out of anywhere because people are just so uh, – it's, it's a, a street photographer's uh, favorite playground. People are so colorful and, and crazy and wild, and I love it. So um, – and then I was uh, just about ready to leave because it was time to meet my friend when um, – a woman was going down the steps and a young man was coming up and they saw each other and they embraced. And I captured that moment. I was so blown away by being able to witness that beautiful moment that I <laughs> almost, you know, I was like, I, I grabbed the picture, but then I thought, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope I got it. I hope I got it. And, and yes, and I, I got it. And when I see it, I was like, yes, this is, this this moment is exactly why I could do this tirelessly, hour after hour, day after day, it's to to yeah. to see and capture a moment like this, or like that true that you know the street humor that is subtle, but 
you know, that, that moment. And I, I captured that in, in Berlin uh, when I was teaching in 2019, where a guy at his arm extended and uh, he was fixing a light behind a marquee. And the marquee, the, the light was actually an arm. So his arm made an extension of the picture that he, you know, on the, on the, that mm-hmm. he was fixing the light and you see that and just that i witnessed that and i got the picture when a fraction of a second later his arm was down and the moment was gone was i could have put the camera away the rest of the day because i knew i would never beat that and uh so there's those moments that really uh stand out i think um if i was to put together like my top five pictures they 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 probably wouldn't be the pictures that people find wow but I know that there was, I find they, they mean the most to me because I know how difficult those shots are to, to see and capture in that fraction of a second. So I think that it's more your, it's the emotional metadata that's attached to the photographs versus, you know, anything technical that you could think of. It would be churlish of me not to ask, what's your favorite city to shoot in? You, you mentioned New York. Yeah, it's Paris. Paris, yeah. <laughs> it's home, and uh, it's really the one city where I spend the most time and I teach the most, but it's also the one that I've never felt like, oh, maybe I need a break. Yeah. Never, 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 never. And uh, whereas, you know, like I, I, I taught in Rome for three years in a row, and then I decided, oh, I would take a break. Next year, I'm just going to teach in Barcelona instead of my Rome spot, you know, and usually I'm in Rome in April. And so the following year, I was in Barcelona in Rome. But now I'm, I'm really itching to go back to Rome. So sometimes you just, you need to, because um, you want to share that passion with your students on the streets. Uh, you have to be excited. You have to be passionate yourself. So if, it, if ever I felt like, oh, I'd rather be doing something else, I would stop doing what I do because um, you, then you cannot com- communicate that, that passion. And that's so, such a big part of teaching. So, yeah. Yeah. But Paris, I've never felt that ever, ever, ever. And I know Paris inside and out. And, uh, and I rotate my itineraries to keep it, you know, fresh and exciting for me but, and for repeat, repeat clients uh, so they don't see the same thing all the time. But even I, I go to the same places, I stay in the same neighborhood and I, I love every second of it. So, yeah. Good, good. Okay, here's a bit of a curveball question. You're, you're, let's just say this: this pandemic has never happened, and you're in Paris today, and mm-hmm. you could you could choose one other street photographer, alive or dead, to spend the day with on the streets of Paris. Who who might you choose? Oh, that is impossible to answer. <laughs> Actually, I have I have a lot of uh, French uh, photographer friends, so I would probably spend the day with a friend and his or her camera. Uh, Not necessarily somebody who is famous uh, because it's really about the connection and uh, yeah. And it's, it's lonely to be on the streets. You know, usually you're, that's why I love to teach. And actually I should be in Paris right now teaching a workshop. I always teach in January. That's where I kick off my year. And uh, I, although I love being on my own and shoot on my own, I usually save some time before, uh, early in the morning before I meet my students or after the fact, although we usually all end up in the restaurants and everything. So uh, we're usually together, but I love the camaraderie. I'm a people person. So street photography, which is something you kind of, it's a lonely, uh, uh, something you do on your own. You know, that's where you usually do your best work. I love the, I love sharing. So I love being with people. 
Mm, so sorry, cool. I could have said uh, Cartier Bresson. Yeah, that would be pretty cool too, or Robert Doineau. <laughs> I take. Yeah, of course, I would love to uh, have known those people. And there's so many, but there's so many brilliant photographers that nobody knows about. And so um, you and and I, I'm inspired by my students all the time too. So. Anyone answer. with a camera will do the trick. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Okay. So last couple of questions. What would your advice be to yourself? Maybe let's just say there's an 18 year old Valerie Jardin. <laughs> what would you whisper in her ear? Um, just to do what makes you really happy. And, um, and I don't think you start doing that until later in life. You know? <laughs> when you think like, well, screw it, you know, yeah, I've done that. I could do this and I could be making more money, but I don't care. I'm, my number one goal is to do something that makes me happy. And that's why I shoot for me. I don't shoot for clients anymore at all. And I've had quite a, quite a few requests over the years. I've never said yes to another client once I said, no, I'm done, I'm done. And I shoot for me and I share my passion and my vision with like-minded people. So it's really to do what makes you happy, number one. You, you don't have a, and live your dream. It, you know, it wasn't an easy decision to just quit my commercial photography to actually pursue my passion of teaching and traveling. But, um, and if it was easy, everyone would do it. So it's probably the most difficult thing you're going to do. But hey, you know what? You don't have a second chance at this. Once it's done, it's done. So um don't don't live with regrets. So I live my life. I live every day as if it was my last. And uh, and and I think that's something you learn to do as you get older. Maybe I don't know. But uh, for me, it's uh, it's pretty clear. Yeah, I uh, do what I do what I love. You're a one camera, one lens type of gal. Uh, what, what what is your one camera that you would pick up if everything else was was burning around you? Which which <laughs> camera would you grab and run? The X100V. I have all the X100. I have two of each because that's the only camera I've been shooting um, since, um, uh, well, at least, I don't know, seven, eight years when it did come out. And so I have an X-Pro2, which I use with a lens, baby lens, but that's my camera. I need two because um, because I I, it's, I make a living with that camera, so I, I need a backup. So I would grab the one that's it's actually always within inches of me, so it wouldn't be very difficult. It's been wonderful speaking to you. Now, tell everybody where they can find you, your workshops, your books, and Instagram, and all of that stuff. Yes, uh, everything is, uh, well, it's, it's easy. Valérie Jardin, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N uh, dot com for the website. That's where I am on Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, one of my, my latest book was actually a bestseller on Amazon recently. Uh, just came out, Street Photography Assignment, 75 Reasons to Hit the Streets and Learn. So if you need a little boost, I wrote actually that book for Rocky Nook Publishing um, last year because... Uh, Everybody always says, oh, I don't have time. I don't know what to shoot. I don't know. I like to go out, but I don't know. So I wrote that book so that all those people that complain that they don't have the time or they don't know what to shoot don't have any more excuses. So it's really for street photographers and uh, their exercises. You can go out, pick one, and then uh, spend 30 minutes, four hours, whatever time you have. No more excuses. Our thanks to Valerie Jardin. And uh, if you want to, to, to get links, etc. Uh, to her site and the work that uh, she was talking about there. You can see it on the shiny uh, Fujicast website, fujicast.co.uk, on the show notes for, for today. I was going to say new, but you it's, need not, it's, 
Nearly new. I know. Nearly new. Nearly said new. <laughs> it was new at some stage. <laughs> when was it new? Since that oh, event. God, yeah, I know. But do we count the last year? No. <sighs> Uh, do you remember that conversation? I think I'm going to do. I'm going to update the Fujicast website. No, you know we're going to be locked down for the next four weeks, so I better yeah. uh, give me something to do. Um, four weeks. Four <laughs> 12 weeks. Twelve months later. God damn it! <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I don't know about you, Kev, but uh, I've started getting um, cancellations upon the cancellations I had last, or postponements, if you like, upon the postponements I had last year. I've got people now oh, on, yeah. their, on their third and fourth postponement yeah. looking at 2022. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've had all of that, absolutely. Uh, I had one the other day, um, bless them, they'd, they were originally booked for May last year. Then they shifted to September last year. Then they went to November 2021. Okay, so this is like still in the in the future now. And then about uh, two or three months ago, they changed their November 2021 to February this year. Um, and said, we know we're only going to be able to have 15 people, but we're so yeah. desperate to, to get married to and yeah. you know, crack yeah. on with having a family and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they changed all those plans, went to February 2021. And then, of course, that went and she just sent me an email and she was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. We're just going to have a family. <laughs> Are you going to the fuck this shit wedding? <laughs> Um, so that wedding is not going to happen. And oh, I feel so, so yeah. sorry for them. Oh, yeah, you absolutely. Know, I feel sorry for my bank balance as well, but I feel very sorry for them. I tell, it's I'm, horrible. I'm genuine, genuinely now concerned for some of the um, some of the venues. I really am. Yeah. Um, some of them have gone. Some of them have gone bust. I know. I know. Yeah. There's two two venues that I was booked at that I've now got postponements to do their next wedding that are going nowhere near. Um uh, the last venue that they had because it's gone pop uh, and that's yeah. such a shame such, such a shame they've sort of moved the wedding to another part of the country altogether so they're then not reminded of where they were oh, oh. Um, I mean somebody said to me I had a conversation with somebody saying why why would a wedding venue go bust because if it's you know if, if it's not earning money fair enough but it's just empty at that point. No, they feel like you know it's yeah. not. You don't have to pay the staff. You do basically. So it, was, have, it was a, it was made a lot of sense. Well, some of them um, furloughed, of course. The, yeah, and furlough doesn't cost you nothing. No, no, no. But what I mean is, yes, of course they they. But in a lot of cases, a lot of these um, venues, the staff are paid, uh, you know, on contract basis. So yeah, you turn yeah. up, your caterers turn up, they get paid for their day's work or whatever uh, and in, in a lot of cases you've got you've got a handful of office staff and like wedding planner and things like that um and you know but for the big you know the, the big kind of country house estates obviously those those things need maintenance and need yeah. to be kept up yeah. together and everything but i do think that it's, it is has been the saving grace for a lot of venues in that you know it's not yes they they need the income but it's not like they have to run constantly keep it running day in day out you know there's the the, the running costs for a lot of these places are you know compared to the size of them relatively small because it's not you know it's not like a shop for example where they need monday to friday business so i'm hoping that a lot of them will you know will be able to to fight through it Absolutely. Uh, but of course some of them will will go some of them already have gone yeah I've, i feel for them really do um questions peter peter foot now peter wrote this uh, email a little while back um while rutland were in tier two do you remember tier two kev mm. that's practically being allowed to kiss well not quite actually no <laughs> never never none of the tiers were that um, there's another word I, 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 I've, gr- I've grown not to like very much, but it is within Patreon, so you kind of still have to use it. Tier, the tier system. 
Um, hi, Kev. Mm. Hi, Neil. Question for the podcast. I have a Fuji X Pro 2, which I absolutely love, uh, which came with a standard lens. Never used it, he says in brackets, for which I also purchased a 56mm 1.2, my favourite lens ever. Yeah, get you on that one. And a 16mm 1.4. Uh, I've used that literally a handful of times. It just doesn't suit my style of photography. Can't explain why. So I'm planning to buy a 23mm, um, which I will be using predominantly for street photography and uh, photographing the grandchildren. Which lens do you recommend that I purchase? The bulky 1.4 or the weather-sealed, much cheaper alternative? Um, or should I think about purchasing a completely different lens from a, a, a different manufacturer? Not sure about the compatibility with the last suggestion. Anyway, from, from Peter in Tier 2, who must must now be... Um, well, obviously, we're all in the same sort of thing, aren't we now? We're all in it together. Yep. All in it together. All in it together. Yeah. Well, um, 20, 23, uh, the 23 1.4 um, is, is, a, is a lens I, I, I personally would always recommend. I think it's a wonderful lens. Yes, it is. Uh, it really, literally, we have this question quite often, don't we? And it's the, really the only reason that I would recommend you have the 1.4 over the F2 version is if you need that extra stop of light. That's it. Is it any really, brisk? Because it, it, for, it's a little bit brisker to focus, though, isn't it? No, the F2 versions are faster to focus. No, that's, sorry, that's what yeah. I meant. The, the F2 is a bit brisker to focus, so that might be the only reason yes. you might think about it. Well, I mean, really, you know, if the choice is between the F2 version of either the 23, 35, or 50mm lenses, or the well, there is a 50mm f1 now. Um, you know, the, the f2 lenses typically are cheaper, lighter, they're weather sealed, and they're faster to focus. The 23 f1.4 and the 35 1.4 are not weather sealed, they're slower, and they're more expensive. However, they do have that extra stop of light. So, you know, when you're, and that can, that is a big stop of light as well when you're, when you're shooting in low light. So if you don't need the low light performance, that extra little bit of, you know, light gathering capabilities, the depth of field issue for me is, is irrelevant. It's pretty negligible between F2 and F1.4 on the, on the APS-C anyway, but that might play a part in the, in the decision-making. Yeah. Literally, F1.4, only if you need that light. Yeah, That's, that's it. I'd be very disappointed if you buy it just because it looks better. <laughs> what, you mean as in looks bigger? Yeah, bigger, better, sexier, fatter, <laughs> heavier. Yeah, well, it's, um, yeah. Oh, come on, Kev, we're talking grams difference here. Well, actually, no, it's quite a bit Not bit really. Different. But it's, it's still, yeah, it's not, not really. A, it's not a heavy, heavy lens there anyway, is it really? No, no, no. It's not heavy, heavy lens, but it is, you know, all I'm saying is that literally the 1.4 version of the 23mm lens, which yeah. I, I, that's the one I use, by the way. Uh, that is the one that I use, but only because I want that extra stop of light. Uh, which is, well, it's essential, I think, when you're doing the kind of work. If you're doing, if you're doing weddings, weddings, weddings. Um, of course, that's uh, essential. What What is the book of the week, Kev? The book of the week this week is. I was actually sent this as a lovely gift very recently. In fact, uh, yesterday <laughs> um, is a book called Shutting Up Shop. All right, okay, that sounds interesting. By John Londe, right. and you you will like this because there are. Uh, this will remind you of your granddad's sweet shop. Good old, good old Harry on the uh, yeah. on the A10. Harry on the A10. He may even be in this book. So, shutting up shop by John Landy, the decline of traditional small shops, uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. It's a, I think it's a Dewey Lewis publication. Let me just double check that. Yes, Dewey Lewis. Good old Dewey Lewis. And each page is a spread with uh, an image of a, a shop, 
and a description, uh, a, a conversation sometimes with the proprietor and uh, sometimes kind of notes from the photographer. So randomly, page 30, children's and ladies wear, 1982, LA Beer, 46 Northgate, Canterbury, Kent. Her quote, I try so hard. And then, so the, the photograph was taken in 1982. So these are not recent photographs. No. So there's there's a whole load, and they are beautiful, like proper proper Barney's Emporium on nine, on um, page fifty. It's just like Arkwright in open all hours. They're simple pictures. It's picture usually of the proprietors stood either in the doorway or just inside the shop. And uh, there's a great one here on page sixty six. Uh, hosier and ladies outfits. Uh, is that how you say it? Hosier. I think so. Hosier. Yeah. Is that tights and stuff? Yeah. yeah. Hosier. Yeah. Isn't there a singer called Hosier? No. <laughs> He's a singer called Hosier as well, isn't he? He did that song about take me to the church or something. Um, uh, and so this is a brilliant one because you've got the two uh, old ladies and the, and the old man surrounded by huge pairs of knickers. <laughs> Big bloomers. <laughs> Big bloomers. Big bloomers. Yeah, I love it. Brilliant. Uh, 1982, half pennies, 12 Drake Street, Rochdale, Lancashire, if you're from that area. I think America, then, Americans, by the way, are thinking, what, what was open all hours? I mean, that was a very typical English corner shop, wasn't it? Yeah, I loved it. Open all hours. Yeah. Uh, what Del Boy did later. Yeah. Uh, Jewish Delhi, 1983, Rogs, 137 Cannon Street, London. Now, 137 Cannon Street, London would, would have been my old stomping ground when I was working in the city. Right. Um, fairly sure that's still not there now, Jewish Delhi. Uh, might be, though. You never know. And my favourite one <laughs> is something that... Um, maybe we're, I'm, I'm, I'm learning something about myself here. My favourite one is uh, the shop called um, Lingerie. <laughs> Well, Marie, the square Abingdon in Oxfordshire. Right. Maybe Steve Vaughan will, will remember this place. And uh, he, she says, uh, we do get many elderly ladies who have been customers a long time. Um, Gwen Sterling, Monica Witherington, the manageresses. So you've got this beautiful, beautiful shop um, with these kind of like real proper 1970s, 90s and uh, negligees hanging up in the windows. What would a 1970s negligee be, Kev? Well, how, does, know, it, like, how, does, uh, how does it change to a negligee these days? Or have they become more skimpy? Well, it's a little bit like the one I sent you a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> so these are, these are doesn't, pink doesn't and fit. <laughs> nice little off-the-shoulder numbers. Yes, that one. <laughs> uh, lots of, lots of uh, what would they call that white stuff with uh, looks like... Nicker it looks like doilies. Looks like doilies, oh, but you yeah. wouldn't call it on. Yeah, well, lace, lace, Kev. Lace. Yeah. yeah, I suppose that's it. Yeah, lots lacy. of lace. Well, yes, it is lacy. <laughs> Not cagney and lacy. No. Lacy two- as in the material. The two ladies stood outside the door. Actually, looked like Cagney and Lacey, funny enough. They're not wearing um, lace, are they? Not the, outside the door. Yeah, it just stood right outside the door. Oh but great, God. you know, got lovely smiles. And, and, and the thing is that the, the thing about the book is you, you just look at it and you think, I really want to go and see. Now, this place definitely still exists. I know this for a fact. Um, Seaside Rock, West Pier, Brighton, East Sussex. Um, whether it's still the same proprieties or not, I don't know. Um, but you just want to go and see them, don't you? You just want to go and make sure these people are still, oh, look at that. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite books ever. Page 108, Seed Merchant. Oh. Um, 201 High Street, Rickmansworth, Hertfordshire. And it is literally Arkwright from Open, uh, open All Hours. And uh, he stood outside this beautiful house that's um, painted green. All of the woodwork is painted green. F.A. Bone, hay, straw, corn, and seed merchant. Yeah. And outside is just bags of seeds and flowers and bulbs and baskets and 
hammers and and yeah. trowels yeah. and stuff like that. Love it. I remember from Grandad's. I mean, it was tobacconist. It was you know that that H A H A Harry H uh, A Stewart tobacconists uh, with the old fries windows um, each side of the the door. And um, the one thing that I'm seeing uh, here is that people used to wear white, or as in Arkwrights, they would wear brown jackets, wouldn't they? That was a kind of a shop uniform. And granddad and grandma, they always used to have, they always used to have their, their white coats on or brown coats. It was, it was the uniform of the shop that uh, I think people in those, those shops wore. It's not, I mean, that's not exclusive to the UK because I think that's the way that um, used to keep shop in the 50s um, in America as well, wasn't it? Well, I, I always used to, it always kind of makes me laugh because we've got two really good butchers in Malmesbury. Um, they wear like, the white coats. Uh, family yeah. butchers. Yeah. And, and I, always, I always wonder why butchers always wear red. Uh, sorry, we're white. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you see all the blood and <laughs> I know everything. they end up red. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and, and then you look at, like, the sweet sellers and stuff, and they wear brown overalls, you know, yeah, whatever, yeah. green. Um, you know, probably because it means that they, they won't show all of the sticky stains and things. Yeah. Uh, that sounds awful, doesn't it? It does. But, but I'm look, <laughs> looking at the shops here. Gran- I mean, Grandad's shop was like that. I mean, it was, it was absolute floor to ceiling. Um, stuffed with produce and and uh, wouldn't wouldn't have been produce would have been confectionery and, and tobacco and tobacco for him. There was if ever there was a gap, be, Rose, Rose, there's a gap, um, and Grandma <laughs> would come shuttling through and poof, it was <laughs> sorted straight away. He was terrible like that, Granddad. But 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 he but equally, I mean, he had the um, I mean, he had the had the Arkwright till, you know that one that would catch your fingers. Yeah, that he had two of those, one on each side. Yeah, I mean, while I'm looking at this, these pictures here, and I'm thinking that that is Granddad's shop. Oh, There's right. one here, uh, Milner Street, Knightsbridge, London, a <laughs> uh, hardware store, just in the middle of uh, several multi-million-pound houses. Love it, and it's just got so much stuff outside. Brooms. There's always brooms outside hardware stores. Hundreds oh. of brooms, baskets, buckets, tins, forks bins you know you're always going to need a new silver bin aren't you but that kind of very that kind of very traditional shop is coming back to an extent kev if you go to um i mean they're almost like theme like aren't they Um, we've got one in malsbury actually we've got one um i think it's been around for a long time but it's not as it's not as i love the colors of this and everything but i just noticed interestingly with the the pictures they all have a very hard vignette on them and i don't know whether there's notes in the book to explain that um but yeah, there must be a reason for some some of that. Draw, but every single picture has a hard yeah. vignette. Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, that, maybe that was applied post when it was going into the book when it was being published, perhaps. Perhaps, or maybe it was the lens choice. I don't know. Um, I'll read about it. But yeah, I love it. I really love it. So it was a kind gift to me, uh, John Alondi, shutting up shop. Shutting up the shop. Decline, the yeah. decline of the traditional shop. Brilliant. Right, your question then, Kev. Uh, Okay, so this one is from Alan Brinkley. Question regarding the X100 series cameras. Of the older lineup, out of the X100, X100S and X100T, what would be your choice if you were to buy it now as an everyday camera? And what draws you to it? Cheers. All the best for 2021. Thank you, Alan. I mean, I'd I'd always go for the latest one, the V. I mean, I haven't got the V because I can't afford the the V at the moment. But... um, but I, well, yeah. you didn't listen to the question. Didn't I? Oh, that was always no. my problem at school. Of the older line, oh, the older out line. of the X100, X100S or X100T. Oh, go to the back of the class, James. <laughs> that was always my problem. No wonder I got such awful exam results. 
<laughs> you're doing my trick of uh, ah, drifting off i'll tell you what a pandemic though would have would have uh, i wouldn't have wanted it but it, it would have probably came to my rescue not having exams and being being marked on our year's coursework i was better at that than exams uh i don't know the old the old lineup i certainly which want... ones did you actually have oh, okay i've had the x100 the original one yeah. um had the s uh did i have the t i think i had the t for a very very short amount of time but uh, i remember using the s a lot and um obviously the f yeah i i would say out of the first three x100 x100s x100t it, it, it so i'm going to answer this twice if it this was in addition to having another camera right i would go for the original x100 because although it wasn't the the best camera in terms of focus speed and everything. No, not by, by a it, long way. No, <laughs> by a long way. I think it made beautiful, beautiful, beautiful images that hasn't haven't been replicated since. Mm-hmm. However, if it was literally the only camera I could choose, I'd probably go for the X100s rather than the T. Why those three? Why the S? Yeah, from the T onwards, everything got a lot more complex video and a lot more menus and things like that, which is a good thing. And of course we're all used to those, but I think from a, a camera point of view, X100S was, was good. And I, I, I spent a lot of, well, I wrote a book about that camera, so I know it literally inside out. It's still in our bathroom. <laughs> your book. <laughs> it's still in your bathroom. That's <laughs> yeah, right. It yeah. Um, as it's made its way to most people's bathrooms. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'd go the X100S probably out of those three, just, you know, purely for that reason. I, but I, you know, I do get that because um, um, so I was talking to somebody about the X Pro, and uh, now I had an X Pro set up for weddings. Um, I had two bodies, and then I sold them, and then I just started using XT. Never went back to X Pro, but I, I did have some experience of using the X Pro three. Not much, granted, but lots of experience with the X Pro two. But I've been using the X Pro one a lot for my my photo walks, I, I, and um, I absolutely love the feel of it. I love the menus. It's such a simple menu, isn't it? It's a really simple camera, and that's a little bit the same way that you feel about the X100, isn't it? I've really enjoyed mm. the X1, the, the X Pro One um, has sort of sort of ignited my enjoyment for that that body style again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, essentially, the older the camera, the less good it will be, effectively, or uh, well, compared to the newer ones. So, but yeah, so at that point you're choosing based on, you know, aesthetics, emotions, uh, look and feel of the images, JPEGs, yeah, functionality, form. Um, one thing to throw in the mix there, though, is that's the old battery. So those old batteries are a bit of a pain. Oh, the X100, uh, yeah. Yeah, because the getting the charger for them is quite difficult. And they didn't charge via USB-C, although I do have about 40 of them. <laughs> <laughs> those, those batteries those batteries oh yeah. god it's the same one that goes in the x70 yeah um here's one from patreon matt's fernblad torsen uh, i think you mentioned didn't you with the latest patron members yes Maybe. although you made a much better uh, go at his name than i did oh i thought yours was, was cracking kev um <laughs> hi guys shooting tip needed it's two weeks until uh, the due date to the birth of our first my wife uh, wants me to be a dedicated photographer for the occasion, as I've always been the cameraman of the group. Um, if I'm allowed into the hospital, that is. Uh, but mm. I do love taking pictures. But I, I'm a bit uncomfortable when there's something at stake or somebody has expectations to what I'm shooting. The downside of having a decent camera is that uh, sometimes it feels like the general understanding is that your photo should be amazing as long as you have one. 
Therefore, I've never been comfortable shooting people as they always want to see the pictures. Do you have any tips for shooting this occasion that may, may make me a bit more confident? I really want to do... I really want to make some memorable photos that we can look back on uh, with awe because um, because of the moment, not the photo. Good question and good luck. Um, uh, mm. And we'll leave you with that. Send you off. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. So he's got an XT30 with an 1855, a 23 1.4, 35 f2 and a 1024. Uh, just in case that, that should make a difference with the answer. Uh, and it could do, actually, because you're going to be in quite tight... Um, tight corners at, at some stages during that process now uh, the 1024 is um is a super super lens and that might well come in handy for this job might do but 1024 well, the, the first version of the 1024 is f4 lens isn't it yes um, oh yeah so it's not going to be particularly fast yeah that's not going to be great in low light but yes you're right about the angles yeah, but normally hospitals are quite well illuminated aren't they yeah yeah that's true although the times that i've done the couple of times i've done cesarean births they they have very specific lighting in the in the theaters um, but yes on the wards and stuff like that it's, they're usually very well lit yeah um, but actually, yeah. on that on that note, when you did your cesareans, obviously your your um, the, the illumination from those surgical lights, which is vast, I would imagine, mm. um, means that you are all that light's being funneled into the the one action area, and mm. so therefore, what falls off around the outside? I mean, you're you're naturally vignetting this whole experience, aren't you? Really, by 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 probably having to underexpose to 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 quite an extent. So that ten twenty four could still be quite handy in that in in that Correct. respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although underexposing or using or being a bit creative with spot metering or something, yeah, I think yeah. that's how I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I, you know, my honest answer at the minute is is uh, well, hopefully you'll you can get in there and uh, they'll let you in. Um, what, what about the, what about the mental side of it though? Because I, that comes across a little bit with what Matt's is is writing here. He's saying, you know, is I, it first child? Um, uh, he doesn't say that, no. Mm. Um, well, if it's first child, then I think be there for the occasion, not not, yeah. not as a photographer. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I understand the being there as a photographer as well, especially if the wife is is keen on that because it, they are superb pictures to get. But I think you know, as fathers that have had more than one child, um, uh, I I think the first time the first baby is is quite a substantial thing that happens to your as the as the husband that happens yes. to your inside your mind as all that stuff is going on and uh, whether you you will have the foresight to be able to to shoot as well. Um, I, I, yeah, is, I, I didn't for either of ours. I, I've, I'll be honest. I got in a lot of trouble just for changing to the wrong radio station. Uh, <laughs> ne- never mind beginning to take photographs. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't either. Well, when Rose was born, I wasn't a photographer. And when Albie was born, I, I, was, I was a photographer, but I wasn't really in my mindset at the time. Yeah. Um, although Gemma has said in hindsight, she really wished that I had... Mm. you know had done all of that stuff i feel a bit uncomfortable he says if there's something at stake or some somewhat you mm. know some expectations to what i'm shooting and a lot of people that shoot shoot uh, events like weddings would uh, would clearly feel that way wouldn't they mm. um and and it is one of those things that you find yourself having to try and try and get over it's a very difficult thing to to that that hurdle is one of the one of the toughest hurdles to get over but this is a very personal hurdle so i can see how it would be even even more tricky yeah um, yeah i think you know you're gonna have to play it by ear basically and just don't put too much pressure on yourself 
But if he does you know, go, if he, do, if he does go and shoot it, what would you suggest on that lens lineup? Because he doesn't want to be changing lenses all day. He wants uh, to be so eighteen fifty five is a bit faster, of course. But he's got his twenty three one four and his thirty five f two. What what would you be suggesting? One lens, one lens only. Twenty three probably would be enough. Would be fine. You don't want, uh, you know, you want this to be storytelling and context. You you don't need to be zooming in to tight faces and things like that. I don't think so. Uh, Twenty three will be fine. One lens. Keep the rest of it away. Don't even take it with you. Just leave it at home. And I hope it goes well. Yes. Yeah. But it will go well, and we we will want to we want to see the pictures. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now we're telling you to go take the take the pictures, and that is it for another week. Um, thank you to our, our guest Valerie Jardin and uh, of course we'll give the uh, links to um, to that um, if you want to send it now this is quite important because uh, we, we could do with some more Facebook questions now couldn't we Kev so uh, so what, what do people need to do so you can of course always send in questions via email to uh, click at futurecats.co.uk or you can send us a message via our website website website, website. Um, but if you are in the Facebook group for those of you that are there is a thread that is pinned to the top uh, which is called questions for the show thread just fling them in there but of course don't feel obliged to not answer or ask questions elsewhere in the Facebook group as well other people will be happy to help but the ones on the, the questions for the show thread will be ones that we will get to all of them and read them all out mm. on the show when's Andreas coming in by the way when is the uh, Ask Andreas feature F- formally and officially on the show Kev I think it's the very first episode of February February alright okay. I think I think that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yes, I think it does. I'd have to look at my diary. You can also send your questions in to click at fujicast.co.uk. Um, thank you to those that are supporting the show uh, by Patreon. If you can do it, fantastic. For those who feel it's appropriate, of course, uh, not just for us, but for, for your pocket too, but the donations will help the show stay here as, uh, as an ongoing project. See, I've got out of saying going or growing or whatever that thing was that used to feel a bit squeamish about. Kev. <laughs> music is from Blue Wednesday. Supporting music, of course, from the increase incredibleartlist.io and we will see you next week bye Kev bye bye the Fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way